Well, good morning, guys. So it's always interesting about this time of year. Our first service is always our bigger service, um, like in the spring and the summer and into the fall. And then the temperature gets cold and you can see who the hardcore people are, right? Everybody else stays home and sleeps in and, and stays in their nice warm bed and waits till the 11 o'clock service. But you guys are the ones that, get, that got here in, in the cold this morning. And so I'm glad you're here today. Um, uh, Austin mentioned we don't have youth tonight. Our youth are at a winter conference in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. So pray for them. Uh, they went Friday and it was all day yesterday, all day today. They come back tomorrow. We've got over 20 youth there, a bunch of leaders. Um, and so uh, it's been an awesome weekend so far. I've been talking and catching up with them. Uh, so just pray for safe travels for them and just pray that God will continue working in their lives. Um, I'm hearing a lot of good things already. So um, I'm excited about that. So uh, it's awesome to see our, our young people really uh, just just really, I don't know, just uh, see how God moves and works in their life. And, and so I'm excited for that. So today uh, we do get to continue this series um, onward, how we launch into the new, new year. And, and we are all on a journey. I would call it a journey of faith, right? We're all on this journey in life. And it's on, on a journey where we are start from where we are and we're on a journey to where God wants us to be. And in that process, God is changing us. He's molding us. He's transforming us to be more like Jesus. And so we wanted to start off this new year. Let's really get practical about how we launch into this new year and be intentional about that journey, about where we're going, about what we do on that journey, about just recognizing that God has called us to, to a life that is different. And so uh, as a church, one of our goals is to really equip you on how to follow Jesus. And that's really what this series is about. There, there are times when we confront sin and, and talk about sin, but there are also times, right, when we talk about, okay, Jesus gives us instruction on how to live. He gives us hope for how to live. He, he, he tells us, he models for us what it looks like to go through everyday life as a believer. And so that's really what we want to focus on today. I think one of the things that most Christians get really nervous about uh, when I talk to them is when we talk about sharing your faith, when we talk about evangelism. I think for many Christians, that's something like they know we're supposed to do that, but fear keeps us from really doing it oftentimes. We're worried about what people will think. We're worried that we won't know what to say. Uh, we're worried about how we'll be received uh, we'll worry, uh, we worry about rejection. We worry about looking like idiots. You can just fill in the blank. There are all these things in our minds, right, that kind of prevent us from sharing our faith and telling others about Jesus. And so, uh, but what if I told you, though, that when we look to Jesus, that he gives us a different model of evangelism that will take away most of our fears? That when we look to Jesus, he, he a lot of what what we're taught about evangelism today in the church doesn't really line up with what Jesus modeled. And so I'm, I'm going to share something today that, that may be a little bit unconventional. But we want to look at how Jesus did evangelism. We want to look at how Jesus actually taught his disciples and his followers to go out. Um, and, and so I, I'm excited for today because this is a message that when... Uh, um, when I kind of learned this years ago, it really changed my whole mindset about 
evangelism. So uh, a guy named Mike Breen, an author, pastor, he wrote this. He says, how we approach outreach in today's culture has fallen under scrutiny in recent years, and rightly so. Many of the techniques that have worked in the past are obviously not working as well anymore. He said in his book that I was re- got this from, he said, we've already stated that Jesus was the wisest man that ever lived as well as the best leader and the best teacher. It just makes sense that he would also be the best at evangelism. Uh, in another book uh, called Permission Evangelism, Michael Simpson looks at Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler in Mark 10, and he sums it up this way. Christ was evangelizing, but it doesn't look like the way most people do it today. Even though it says Jesus loved him, he stood there and he let the man walk away. Why did Christ not follow him when he walked away? Why didn't he try harder when the man seemed so eager? Why Christ didn't run after the rich young ruler because he, uh, well, why, why didn't Jesus, oh, I'm going to skip the line here. Why didn't Jesus get him saved before addressing this difficult, difficult area of his life? Christ didn't run after the rich young ruler because he knew the young man's heart wasn't ready. Jesus knew and he let him walk. Jesus never ran after anyone. Instead, he made himself available to those willing to wholeheartedly seek the way to God, the truth about God, and the life found in God. Now, I don't know about you, but right when you hear that, it almost sounds like, are you sure about that, right? Jesus never ran after anybody, but he made himself available. And so, again, I'm going to push on you a little bit today. I'm going to challenge your, your thinking about how we do evangelism. Because I think sometimes we look at it like it's our job to convince people. It's our job to run after people. It's our job to beat them over the head with the truth until they'll finally cave in and give their life to Jesus. It seems like many of our methods of evangelism in the church today uh, do that. Um, and so today, I want us to look at Luke chapter 10. So if you've got Bibles, you can flip there. We'll have them on the screen. Um, but we want to talk about the, the method that Jesus used to reach the world around him. This is the story of Jesus sending out the 72, and we'll talk about that number. And it's a model that we need to examine and learn from, and it's not as hard as, as you think. And so there are some instructions that I want to uh, pull out today. Um, and there's five different instructions that I, I want to tell you about. First, the first thing that Jesus teaches us that we need to do is we need to go together. We need to go together. So this is how we share our faith. Um, that's the first point. We, we go together. And so where do I get that from? Um, it's Luke uh, 10 verse 1. Evangelism is something that we do together with other believers. He says, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and he sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places that he planned to visit. And so this story in Luke 10, it opens up and he, he says, Jesus is sending out these, uh, this group, this group of 72 and he is sending them out in pairs to go to places to prepare the way, so to speak. So uh, we already read in the, in the Old Testament, two are better than one. And, and now Jesus is pairing up these followers and sending them out. So let's back up a little bit and look at the context. Let's back up and, and, and this, Luke, this story in Luke 10 of Jesus sending out the 72. Let's learn about what happened just before this. In Luke chapter 9... 
we see him do another sending out. So these are two different things. In Luke chapter 9, he sends out the 12. So in Luke chapter 9, he sends out the 12 disciples. And in verse 1 through 6, I'll just read this because it's kind of similar to where we're going. It says, One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and he gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. And so they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. Now, so Luke tells us he sent out his 12 disciples. And and I think in these two stories in Luke chapter 9 and in Luke chapter 10, these numbers are significant. Uh, in Luke chapter 12, uh, and well, in Luke chapter 9 here, when he sends out the 12, um, this is also talked about in Matthew chapter 10. And Matthew 10 tells us this, that Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. So the 12 he sent out, and, it, and I don't know, have any of y'all been watching the Chosen miniseries? Uh, this season, right, uh, they just have, just a few episodes ago, they sent out the 12. So that's kind of where we're at on, on the Chosen. They sent out the 12, and, and it was interesting to watch that because you got to see, like, the, the, the fear and the anxiety a little bit of the disciples. Like, you're sending us out? Like, why aren't you coming with us? And we're supposed to do what? It, you see that, and you, and, and you kind of feel that, that, that trepidation they had a little bit about going out and, and serving. But Jesus sent them to only go to the Israelites. Only go to the Israelites. How many tribes were there in the Old Testament of the Israelites? There were 12, right? And so now he's sending out the 12. And so I think there's significance there. He's sending these out as representatives to the 12 tribes of Israel. But then just a chapter later, we're sending out the 72. Now, some of your translations will say he sends out the 70. Um, And so, um, which is it, 70 or 72? Some manuscripts have both. But here's why I think that number is significant. And here's the difference between Luke 9 um, and Luke 10. Um, in, the, in the Old Testament world, it was commonly believed that there were 70 um, countries in the world. So when he said we're sending out 70, right, this is representative of not just going to Israel, but going to the ends of the world, going, going to all nations. Now, some, uh, old, or some newer manuscripts have 72, and so why is that? Well, Later, that view was changed from 70 countries of the world to 72. So we think maybe some of the scribes that were copying this kind of updated that number to reflect the common thinking of how many countries. But we're not sure, but does it really make a difference? Not really. But it's interesting, at least, as you study this, whether it's 70 or 72, this is representative of the followers going out to all the countries, all the people, the Gentiles, the, the ends of the earth. And so I love that, that right. And so we, these are different people than the, the 12 disciples. These are an additional 70 or 72 people that were hanging out with Jesus. And now Jesus is sending them out to go 
uh, and teach. And he sent them out in pairs. Why do you think he did that? It's because he knew, right, we need support from each other. It gets lonely when you do ministry on your own. It's important that we have each other to, to, to hold each other up and to pick us up and to encourage us and to walk with us and, 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 to, and, and, to, and to really serve together. That's why he talks so much about community throughout Scripture. And, and this is just, it's, you see Paul, when he writes his letters, he's always talking about the team. Whether it's Barnabas, right, or, or, or whether it's Timothy or Silas or, or, or Titus or, or Philemon. Paul's already always talking about the people that he's doing ministry with. And, and so we see this throughout the New Testament that when you do ministry, you do it as a team. You're not doing it on your own. So the first thing, first thing, it's so important that we go together. But as we continue in Luke chapter 10... We see some more instructions. And the next thing we talk about, this is where it starts getting a little unconventional maybe, right? It's simply this. We've got to know the season. When we share our share faith, we've got to know the season. We've got to, be, we've got to understand there are certain seasons. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, as we keep going in this story of Jesus sending out the 72, these were his instructions to them. The harvest is great. But the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. So first read, right? We look at this and we see we're praying for more people to go into the fields. We're praying for more workers. We're praying for more people to be willing to go do the harvest. But the reality is you can't go harvest unless you have planted and sowed the seed, right? There's a season to farming. we got a lot of farmers in here. You know there are seasons where you plant, uh, when you sow, and there are seasons when you reap or when you harvest. And so this imagery, we see Jesus use it a lot in, in, in his, his teaching, in his parables. Back in John, he had already taught them this. In, in verse 34, it says, Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, Four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. So he's already kind of given them this instruction. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying that one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you are going to, you'll, you'll get together the harvest. And so what is Jesus teaching us? There are seasons to sharing our faith. Some will plant, and some will harvest. And so it's not up to us, right, to, to, to do everything at one time. Our job is to be faithful. Our job is to be able to understand, right? Uh, we've got to be able to understand when people are ready to receive uh, what we're sharing. Jesus also taught about this in, in Mark 4 when he taught about the parable of the four soils, right? The, the four types of dirt. I can say that better. He talks about the dirt. Uh, there's some seed that falls on rocky ground. There's some seed that falls on the hard ground. There's some seed that gets choked out by the thorns as it grows up. 
But when the seed hits the good dirt, the good stuff, right, what happens? It multiplies 130-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold times, right? And, and so he's saying, right, there are certain people that aren't ready to receive the word. There, there are certain times when people aren't ready to hear what you've got to share. And so when we start thinking about evangelism, we have to be, get good, right? We have to stay close enough to God to be able to understand when people are receptive to the gospel. Now, um, again, right, most methods of evangelism, if you've gone through any type of evangelism training over the, the years, um, and, and especially, right, it, it's been about just sharing with everybody. It's kind of been, uh, let, let's, let's just kind of, you know, are, are you, do you know where you're going if you die tonight? Let me tell you, and I'm going to tell you right now, do you want to know Jesus right now? And what have we, not, we've not really listened. We've not really taken time to assess the condition of the, the dirt, uh, uh, you know. And so Mike Breen says this, he says, as kingdom workers, our job is to learn to discern the season of each person's soul. Is it sowing time or is it reaping time? And, and so let me just ask you, have, have you really prayed that? Have, have you like, is it time to like plant seeds? Is it time to share truth? Is, or is it time to, 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 to harvest and, and to, to, to help them understand how they can become a child of God? This is what evangelism looks like according to Jesus. And, and here's the thing about it. It takes the pressure off of us. Uh, you know, I feel like sometimes we think we're a failure if we share the gospel and that person doesn't respond. You know, we don't save anybody. You, you understand that, right? It's God that does the saving. We are just there to, to, to convey the truth, to share the truth. And so this is like a heavy burden that's lifted off your shoulder when you realize it's not about you. It's not about you. It, it's about God using you, but it's about trusting him. There are times to plant and there are times to harvest. Now, the reality is, I, I've heard it used to be that someone had to hear the gospel seven times before they responded. I, I actually saw something now that said the person has to hear it like a hundred times now before they respond. It's the world we live in. They're not going to respond often the first time they hear the gospel. It's going to take some planning. It's going to take time for that, that, that seed to be cultivated and watered and, and let it grow before we can harvest. And, and so, uh, again, this is, this is, this is an important thing that we kind of understand, that there are different seasons that we need to, under, to understand. So that's the second thing. Here's the third thing as we keep going in this passage. As we do this, we've got to learn to trust completely. We've got to learn, we've got to trust God with this whole process. And when he sends out these 72, he's teaching them, you're going to have to depend on me. This is not about you. This is not about your own strength. This is not about what you can do in your own effort, right? This is about relying on me to go with you. Verse 3 and 4. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Why is he doing this? 
Again, just like sending out the 12 where he's saying, don't take money, don't take anything with you. You've got to just trust that God's going to provide what you need along the way. The same thing is true here. He's telling them, you've got to relearn to trust me. This is not about you. It's not about what you can do. It's not about your knowledge. It's not about your strength. It's not about your charismatic, you know, your, your charisma. It, it, this is all about just trusting God. And, and we make this mistake so often. We rely on ourselves. We rely on ourselves. And, and so we can get so confident in our own ability that we don't even rely on God. And so he wants us to, to just make sure that we're trusting him in the little things. Are we trusting God that, that he is going to tell us what to say? Are we trusting God that he's going to reveal opportunities to us? Are we trusting God that we're going to go into situations that we're not sure what to do and what to say, but when we get in those situations, if we're trusting him, he's going to use us? Let me just, have you ever been in a situation, right, where you look back on it and you're like, I don't know how I said that. I don't know where that came from. Have any of y'all ever had that happen? Right? You, you've been talking with someone, and it's just like, I shared something. I don't even know where that, where that, that's God, right? That's when God can, and he can bring stuff that you've read before or heard before. And I, I can't tell you how many times that, that's happened. It's not me. It's not me. I'm not a good counselor because I'm pretty much tell you if, you know, if you're doing something and it's causing problems, then don't do it, right? I mean, just quit doing it. Just you know, that's my, my view of counseling. You know, if you're arguing, then don't argue. It's pretty simple. But it's amazing. I've been in a lot of situations trying to help people where I'm like, well, have you thought about this first? Have you thought? I'm like, where did that come from? All right, that's, that's God, right? Because God, when we trust in him, when we rely on him, he, he will help us. And so, it, Jesus says here, instead of a packing list, instead of taking everything that you think you're going to need, right? And you know this, if you're going on a trip, you're taking everything, especially if you got little kids. You know what it's like. You're going to have to rent a U-Haul to get to the beach if you go, to get all the baby stuff with you. He's like, don't worry about all that. Just, just trust me. When you get to where you're going, you're going to have what you need. And so this, this really pushes back against our control. This pushes back about what we think we need. And so, uh, you know, as we make our plans, we've got to trust that God is going to provide what we need when we need it. And then as we keep going, here's the, the fourth instruction. And this is where it really gets interesting to me. What do we do when we go into a new place? Who are we looking for? Where we, are, we look for peaceful and welcoming people. That's who we're going to invest in. Do we look for the people that look like they uh, need God, but are the hardcore sinners, and is that who we invest all of our time and energy in? Well, what did Jesus tell his followers? Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. 
The way I've heard this explained and the way that, uh, that really when I, heard, when I learned this principle, it really changed a lot about how I view evangelism. It was called, we look for a person of peace. We look for a person. What is a person of peace? A person of peace right, is simply someone who is open to what you have to say about God. It's a person who is welcoming. It's a person who is peaceful. And when we find those people, those people are where we stop and we slow down and we invest and we pour into them. Now, again, it's, it's interesting, I shared at the beginning, Jesus didn't chase after people who weren't open to receive what he had to share. And so I want to challenge, again, doesn't, doesn't this take a little bit of pressure off us? That we're looking for people of peace. We're looking for people who are open and receptive to the things of God. And when we find those people, those are the people that we invest in. Those are the people we spend time with. Those are the people we, like again, meet with over and over and over. Those are the people that are happy to talk to you about the things that are spiritual in life. They may not know God yet. They may still be questioning, but they want to learn. And again, so many of our fears are like, what if that person won't respond? Or what if that person gets angry? Or what if that person rejects me? What Jesus pretty much tells us is don't worry about it. Spend time with people who are people of peace. Again, I'm telling you, this this kind of pushes back about Many of the evangelism methods we have been taught. I've, you know, we, we've been trained in defending our faith against people who are strongly against Christianity. There's debates, there's arguments, there's all these apologetics trainings and all this stuff teaching us how to argue our faith. And yet Jesus says, if people reject what you say, it's all right. It's not on us, it's on them. That may sound a little like cold and heartless. It doesn't mean we give up and never share again, but it just says, right, there's a, we have to recognize the season. The, the timing may not be right. Maybe they're going to have to get to a different point in their life before they are receptive. And then that's, we've done the planning. That, then we can start thinking about harvesting. And so um, I've heard it said that, that many of our evangelism methods I've, I've heard it then described as confrontational evangelism have you heard that term before i'm just I'm a, I'm a firm believer in relational evangelism instead of confrontation instead of confronting people and and trying to convince them in in two minutes that they're a sinner and going to hell that we need to to, to see if they're receptive to what we have to say and, and so this is again right um th- this is <laughs> Jesus simply said, look for people who want to listen to you. These are people that we encounter in everyday life. These are people at work, and these are people at school, and these are people in the store and on the street that that we see, and, and they want to know more about God. Those are the people that we pour our lives into. Now, as a church, right, this affects how we do church, too. I've had people get upset, like, why don't you chase after that person? Or, or you know, if someone leaves, or, and I'm like, I, I want to invest in these people of peace. I want to invest in the people that are, 
that are spiritually hungry to learn about the things of God. And so those are the people that I'm spending the majority of my time with. And so when we understand evangelism this way, get this now, this is important. It makes it clear that our job, it's not to convert people. That, that's God's job, right? Our job is to be aware of those people who are already sensitive and open to what God is doing. And so in evangelism, God does the work. We're just looking for those opportunities. This is different, right? Have you, have you thought of evangelism this way? How, how do we see examples of this? Let me, there's examples throughout Scripture. We see this play out. In Acts chapter 8, uh, we see this with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I'll just read you a few verses here in verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. He met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candrake, the, the queen of Ethiopia. Uh, the, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over, walk alongside the carriage. Philip ran over. He heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? <laughs> this is like one of those opportunities. Like, Philip, what does he do? He's available. He's like, he allows God to use him and, and send him and to go to somewhere. He's sensitive to what God is doing. And, and then he gets there and he responds to an invitation, Right? The, this guy is literally reading from the Old Testament saying, I don't understand what I'm reading. Can you help me? Does that sound like a person who is open, a person of peace? Does that sound like a person who is ready to learn, right? And, and then what does Philip do? If you keep reading in the story, Philip responds with biblical answers. He says in verse 35, So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Philip recognized this was a time to harvest. And, and so, again, I, I kind of share this because this changes how we view evangelism. It takes the pressure off us, and we just realize it's our job, right, is to look for these opportunities. And that leads us to this last, uh, this last instruction from this passage. What, what is our job in sharing the faith? It's proclaiming the truth and trusting God with the results. That's what we do. We proclaim the truth, and then we trust God with results. Our job is not to convert people. That's, that's God's job. Luke, 8, or Luke 10, verse 8 says, If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you, heal the sick, and tell them, The kingdom of God is near you now. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its street and say, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we abandon you to your fate. And, and know this, the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on Judgment Day. I keep referring to this book, uh, Building a Discipleship Culture by Mike Breen. And, and he said this, he says, It's not good, it's no good trying to force open doors that God has not opened. And we must not be so distracted so that we miss the doors that he has opened. This really is exciting news. Even in the most important task we have been given, the assignment to go and make disciples, God does most of the work. 
Our main job is to walk through life with our eyes open and our ears listening to the Spirit as He reveals to us the person of peace that He has prepared. So that really, right, that's the summary of what we've been talking about. I mean, when we go through life, as we go on this journey, we're constantly looking for those people who are open and receptive to the gospel. To, to, to share with him what God is doing and how he's moving and how he's working and what he's doing in our life. And yes, there will be people who are against us. Yes, there will be people who persecute us. Yes, there will be people who don't want to hear anything about God. And that's all right. That's not on you. We just continue to be faithful. So who are the people of peace in your life, right? Even if you can't see them now, they're out there. There are going to be some who are not ready to hear the message. There are going to be some that react strongly against what they perceive as intolerance or, or, or insensitivity on your part. That's to be expected. Jesus never told us that this whole life is going to be easy. But we're looking for those people of peace. In my studying this week, I ran across a story about a pastor in India. His name was Prasad. And in 2004, uh, Prasad, he planted seven churches. And they had about 10 to 15 people each. By 2013, nine years later, those seven churches had multiplied to become nearly 11,000 churches with well over 100,000 people, and they continue to grow. Uh, I can't, I mean, we've talked about Freedom Firm and the work they're doing. India is not a place that is really open to the gospel. But what we're seeing is, is there are times, right, when God's word just explodes and takes off. So, how did he reach so many people? who didn't know anything about Christianity with the gospel. This is what he said. He said, as a group, we go to a village. Oftentimes, we hold a sporting event like a soccer game. People come and we say to them, we are here and we care about you. How can we serve you? We make friendships with people, offering them an ear to listen to their stories. We, in turn, share our stories and how Jesus has impacted our lives. As we do this, we are looking for a person of peace who is open to us. Who comes up and says they want to talk. When we find that person, we go to their house. This person is often the head of their household, but not always. We listen to him. We pray for him. We communicate that God loves him. We'll share about what difficulties we're facing in our lives and invite him to share in turn what's hard for him. We'll then share how God has met us in our problems and how he has healed and served us. We give him hope that God is near and wants to heal and restore him. We start praying slowly for the problem. We'll send him kind text over the next few days letting him know that God cares about him and that we're praying for his problem. And after praying for him for a few days, we come back and ask, has anything changed in your life since we started praying? We see many miracles happen as we pray for people and often then that person of peace will become a follower of Jesus. And through him, his family is then reached with the good news. And when we are in a town and we do not find a person of peace, we just shake the dust from our feet, and we move on to another town. Isn't it interesting that sometimes in countries like India, they follow Jesus and his instructions more closely than we do? What if churches here in the States operated like this? What if we just started like taking 
Jesus at his word and start doing what he's commanded us and instructed us and taught us. And we start living like that. That church exploded from seven small churches of 10 people each to over 100,000 people just simply by caring about the people they come into contact with in everyday life. It's not about the show on Sunday morning. It's not about... It's about us living like Jesus throughout the week. Looking for those people who are open and receptive to the gospel. Let me ask you, who are those people in your life? Are you looking for them? Are you praying for those opportunities? This is, this is what evangelism really looks like. It's not memorizing a script. It's not knowing all these facts so we can debate and argue people. It's actually caring about them and praying for them and, and sharing how God can meet them in their time of deepest need. That's not formulaic. This is what it, it, just, it looks like to love like Jesus. And so I want to challenge us. Will we be a church that takes Jesus at his word? Will we be that church that will go out into our community sharing the love and the hope that we have in Christ? I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. Let's, let's pray, guys. Heavenly Father, as we study your word, it continues to, to mold us and to shape us. And Jesus, we believe you are the uh, our Lord, our Savior, but you instruct us, you model for us, you teach us how to live this life that we're called to live for your glory. And so, Lord, as we learn from Scripture, as we learn from your Word, help us to look for people who want to know more about you. Those people of peace, those people who are willing and open and receptive to the Gospel. And then help us invest in them and share with them how they can find life, true life, abundant life in you. Lord, would you help us be prepared to know how to answer people. Uh, to be prepared in season and out of season. Knowing that there's a season of planting and there's a season of harvest. Lord, help us to be able to recognize the difference. Lord, I pray for Cornerstone. Just that you would continue to use us, not just to worship on Sunday morning, but to live and represent you every day of the week. I pray that, that you would use us to, to change this community, to transform this community, to transform and impact this community in a way that people will see you for who you really are. And finally, Lord, I pray for those listening today, wherever they're at, that they would know who you really are the Lord of Lords, the, the, the King of Kings, the God who loves us and created us, and that you desire to have a relationship with us. And we can have that relationship with you when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus to save us from our sin. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And we praise you this morning as we worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.